I'm Afshan Ratansi, and you're watching Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai in the heart of the Middle East. And if you've been watching the show since we started, we've been charting the end of the good cop, bad cop, World Bank, IMF consensus that Washington has leveraged around the world, arguably conflicts over Ukraine and Taiwan, and now slamming the doors shut on the post-1945 era of economic hitmen that comprised NATO nation lenders, corporations, the CIA, and those who fostered global war, debt, and famine. One of the hitmen and someone who blew blew the whistle on them is John Perkins. He allegedly advised the World Bank, the IMF, the US Treasury Department, Fortune 500 uh, corporations, governments all around the world. His best-selling confessions of an economic hitman is now in a 2023 updated third edition. He's on Bainbridge Island over the water from Seattle in Washington State. Thank you so much for coming back on Going Underground. John, I've got to say uh, it's uh, very different, very updated, full of new information if anyone thinks it's just the old confessions of an economic hitman. Just remind us uh, before, we, before we start why it became required reading in the global south uh, to be able, amongst uh, elites even, to understand what happened in the global south uh, these uh, past few decades, where famine and uh, war and uh, vulnerability has been uh, rife, uh, seemingly in NATO nation media blamed on those peoples living in those countries rather than uh, something else. Well, yes, I think, uh, <laughs> Ashen, it's, it's great to be with you again, incidentally. Um, and, you know, people in the global south, I, I get so many messages from them. And when I go and, and visit and speak in places uh, in South America and, and, and elsewhere, I hear that they knew this sort of thing was going on. But to actually have it be exposed and in writing uh, by someone who <laughs> was there on the ground doing these nefarious things, which, which I did, uh, and and to have someone admit to doing them and 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 now spend the rest of his life trying to turn that around, is very gratifying to them. So uh, the book is very very popular. It's been I think 38 languages now, sold over two million copies. It's um, and, uh, and people in in many many countries uh, say you know the United States needs to be called to reckoning on this. And now of course this new book is deals with China's economic hitmen who are doing pretty much the same thing. They, they've got a different story to tell. They've got a new marketing technique, which is very, very effective. But it's just basically the same story. Their economic hitmen learn from our failures and our successes. And uh, they're doing a, a much more efficient job than we ever did. And do you expect uh, to be attacked by a mission in NATO nation media press? Or do they will they like this one? Because you do attack China, which is a kind of trope many people doubt the Uyghur story people can see our interview with we as an as another uh, story designed by the kinds of forces that you've described for decades to destabilize countries uh, how do you expect the response to this uh, updated edition or to some instruction manual how to destroy developing world countries to others how to save them well my hope is that People will really look at what I think is the major theme of the book, and that is the economic hitman strategy in China and the United States is taking us to the precipice of, of self-destruction of the world as we know it uh, and life as we know it on this planet. It, you know, we can talk about climate change and income inequality and species extinction. Those are problems, but they're not the problem. They are symptoms 
of this death economy that's based on short-term maximization of profits, period. And it's not working. It trickle-down economics does not work. And so, you know, the book is about how do we create a life economy that pays people to clean up pollution, to regenerate destroyed environments, to recycle, to develop technologies like, you know, wind and solar and and and, and non-carbon non emitting forms of energy. I know. I mean, so even on. at the end of the book, you're, there are exercises, there are things for schools, there are education. Uh, how do you expect this stuff to, to happen given if you reach any level of power based on the rest of the text in the book, you may be killed, overthrown, uh, if you get a democratic mandate, uh, or uh, they will print stories against you, they will use all these... I mean, you, you've got one side saying, whatever you try, they will destroy you, and the other one saying, try for a better world. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I, I realize I'm fighting probability, but history is based on, on people who fought probability successfully. You know, in, 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 in 1774, yeah, the, the the concept in the United States in America wasn't the United States yet was that the the British were indefensible were indefeatable uh, they were invincible they couldn't be beaten and uh, you know George Washington stands up before the Continental Congress and says remembers how twenty years earlier he was at the Battle of the Monongahela during the French and Indian War where the biggest most powerful uh, British army was wiped out and its general Braddock was killed and all the major officers were killed by a handful of French and Indians. And Washington says, well, listen, they're not invincible. All we got to do is hide behind trees, go against probability, come up with a new system. I'm, my hope is that we, yes, the probability is that we're going to go on doing this and we're going to continue to create uh, problems, more severe hurricanes, more severe climate change, et cetera. But I believe that we can go against probability. And because uh, history is written by people who oppose probability and do something, come up with a new idea, a new perception, a new approach. And that's what this book is about, Afshin, is how we can all come together. You know, think about it. Everybody says, well, China and the United States can never agree to do something like this, to fight, to fight climate change, et cetera. But if there was a UFO hovering above us and aliens were threatening to attack us, what would China and the United States do? They'd probably come together. I'm, uh, history would say that they would come together. It does say in, I'm not saying you're a complete uh, clairvoyant, but this is a direct quote from the updated edition, presumably written in the early days of the Ukraine conflict. In the long run, Russia's invasion of Ukraine may strengthen China's position as the leader in the movement uh, to reduce the U.S.'s influence. So you were saying directly that uh, China and Russia would move closer together uh, after what happened uh, in, in Ukraine. Are we seeing that now? Is the Chinese balloon story an emblem of this fact? Well, yes. And, and of course, we're also seeing India and Turkey and uh, much of the, 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 the lower and middle income countries, uh, if not siding with Russia completely, at least not siding with, with the NATO and the United States either. They're, 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 they're not going against Russia there. And, and so, yes, we're seeing that China is, is being strengthened in this process. But the fact of the matter is China had already taken over much of the lower income countries. Their, their investments in the last few years have in these countries, the aid that they've given, if you want to call it aid, the loans 
are greater than the loans of all other countries, including the United States combined. I mean, they've been making huge headway. And, and I think the, the point here, to a large degree, Afshin, is, is that we need to be aware of both countries, that, that both countries, the United States and China, are in a competition, a race toward disaster. You know, they're taking us into a, what I call, and what a lot of economists are calling, a death economy, an economic system that's consuming and polluting itself into extinction. I mean, you talk about Indonesia. You were one of the hitmen after the great non-aligned movement ideas of, of uh, Sukarno uh, before perhaps a million, perhaps more, were, were killed at the behest of the CIA-led uh, coup, coup there. In a sense, that, that reflects that non-alignment. Um, it's different now. Uh, there are cycles to these things. In the book, you talk about cycles. I don't know what you thought of Seymour Hersh, who we interviewed on this uh, program, and his uh, report on the Nord Stream attack. So there are times when Washington will use debt as an instrument of war uh, with interest payments impoverishing the developing world countries. And then there are kinetic times like Vietnam or Iraq. Uh, just tell us a bit about these cycles and whether the Ukraine situation is a, is a kinetic one or is, a, uh, is something uh, that, that will also be technocratic and to do with debt, some people say, of the whole of Western Europe to US gas, liquid natural natural gas well yeah you know so so after the failure of the war in vietnam failure from the united states standpoint it, uh, at least strategically speaking it wasn't a failure if you happen to own, have to be a major investor in military industrial industries they, they, they saw the war as quite a success actually they made a lot of money in other words but it was a failure strategically after that it was decided that, that military might wasn't the way to go uh, that we needed to go with economic hitmen. We needed to essentially control countries through debt rather than the military. <clears throat> and this was this went on for many years. And it particularly revved up after 1991 when the Soviet Union dissolved, when the United States was the only world superpower. But during this period of time, those involved in the, what we call the military-industrial complex, the ones who make the weapons, the big companies that, that make, make the airplanes, the Lockheed Martins and Boeings and so on and so forth, they were not happy with that situation. And they put a lot of pressure on, on the Carter administration. And so when 9-11 happened, we went back into that cycle. This was a tremendously great excuse to rev up the military side of our, of our economy. And that's what happened after 9-11. And in some respects, uh, you, the Ukra Ukraine war is giving us the opportunity to rev that up even even more. And it's certainly happening. Uh, it's, we're going in, in that direction in a big way. You know, I've tried, and, and I know you've had Greg Pallas and Seymour Hirsch and others on this program who are, who are very good investigative reporters. It, it seems to be impossible to find out how much of this aid that we're giving to Ukraine is actually in the form of debt. There can't be any doubt that some of it, at least, probably a lot of it is in the form of debt. But it's hard to tell because what the American people, what the world is told is that we're giving all this aid to Ukraine. The one thing we do know is that that is, is providing a lot of profits to the military industries in, in the United States. Uh, there's, there's no question that, that, that they're making a lot of money off this. Who owes that money <laughs> it remains to be seen. I mean, given that you were working with these institutions, with big corporations, 
You don't sometimes have nightmares thinking that people are reading your work, including the new updated edition, and reversing it in their heads to use it as an investment stra strategic uh, Bible and uh, therefore pick out what to make money off the, uh, whilst the corpses pile up in Ukraine. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, mainly. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you know, there's a long, long, long history of this. You know, all we got to do is look at religions to see how, uh, you know, the the word of, of of Jesus or Muhammad or or any other you know world uh, the prophets the the guiding principles behind religions how their words have been used to uh, fight wars uh, to incite wars and 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 used to to make money okay too. but we're not comparing so, you directly to them I, 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 I'm, I'm going to add to that add to that you know all I can say and, and I think, <laughs> and I think it, like, yeah I, yeah let's make that clear yeah but, you better make that what clear say is whether you're Seymour Hirsch or, or Greg Palace or whoever you are as you write these things you know, I'm very aware that these things can be turned around and 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 used uh, used against me or even used against the United States and that's certainly not my intent but my intent always is to support democracy and I think democracy requires that we have a very critical analysis of everything that we're doing and always try strive to get better and right now we know we've got a system that's failing us is climate change there's income inequality globally that's that you know where we are on the brink of of a major change in what it means to be humans on this planet. The question is, are we going to change? Is 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 the planet going to change us because we're we're abusing uh, our system, because we're overemphasizing materialistic consumption and short-term profits, or can we turn this around and transform the death economy into a life economy? John Perkins, I'll stop you there. More from the author of the best-selling Confessions of an Economic Hitman after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with the best-selling confessions of an economic hitman author and former economic hitman himself, John Perkins. You know, although uh, media restrictions are not as bad where I'm speaking to you from, uh, if I tell you and remind you what the World Bank's standard uh, statements are, the World Bank promotes long-term economic development and poverty reduction. So there's an answer to that one. The IMF promotes global macroeconomic and financial stability and provides policy advice. Again and again, and you haven't changed since the first edition, uh, you just say the World Bank and the IMF don't, don't do that. I mean, U.S. State Department, uh, Perkins uh, claims the U.S. National Security Agency recruited him to be an economic hitman. It appears to be a total fabrication. That's from the U.S. State Department in 2006. Uh, well, how do you respond? I mean, it's been so many years of this that you've, you've given up on it now. Well, you know, the, the New York Times did a major article vetting that, looking at, the, at, at exactly what the State Department said and, and, you know, totally disagreed with the State Department. It was interesting to me. That was a, a website the State Department put up, um, and it, I was the only person on the website. It was called the Misinformation <laughs> Website, and it sold hmm. a lot of books for me, i got to say. And I always wondered, so 
Why are they saying this? Because it's obviously not true. They said the only job of the of the National Security Agency is to encode and decode messages. Well, we know it's a huge agency, the, probably the biggest spy agency in the United States, maybe in the world. It does a lot more than encoding and decoding messages. And everybody knew that. And uh, I had a, a, a television producer who came to the United States several times to interview me. He was from Athens. He did a program in Athens. that was like the 60 minutes of Greece, I was told. And he, at one point he asked me, he said, do you know why the State Department did this? And I said, I have no idea. It's selling a lot of books and it's, it's obviously a fabrication. He said, well, I know. He said, after I did the first program with you, the U.S. ambassador in, in Athens called me into the office and, and chewed me out. And he said, you know, you put me in a very, very difficult position because now all these people are reading this book, other diplomats, and they're coming into my office and saying, is it true? What's, the, what's your position on this book? And he said, I go back to the State Department and ask, well, what is our position on this book? And he said, I'm sure uh, diplomats around the world were having the same problem. And so the State Department had to come up with a statement so that their, 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 their diplomats uh, could just say, well, I don't have a comment on it personally, but here's, what, here's our official response. And it was really interesting to me, Ashim, because it did sell a lot of books for me. I think it accomplished the opposite of what they wanted to accomplish. You quote from WikiLeaks. I mean, Julian Assange has been on this show. General Michael Flynn, he's been on this show. And I've got to say, Assange and Flynn virtually annihilated after they talked about what was really going on uh, away from the press releases of the State Department, uh, away from... Uh, arguable lies in uh, so-called mainstream corporate media. Assange, of course, arguably being tortured, according to the UN Rapporteur in, in London at the moment. This updated edition, and people must be wondering, and people ask the question, and you address it in this edition, how is it you are alive, given that you have blown the whistle on some of the most horrific crimes that, in a way, are emblematic of worse crimes, that you, you say in the book? as one country after another in Africa, in Latin America, in Asia, is impoverished deliberately as strategy by the United States. In this book, you say you were targeted, perhaps, your health, perhaps, to stop you at the UN, and you have fears for your family. Well, yes. Uh, so when I first started to write the book, uh, a long time ago, uh, I, I contacted other people who had jobs like mine. And the jackals, the people who go in if, if the economic hitmen are, are unsuccessful and overthrow governments or, or, or supervise the overthrow of governments and sometimes even assassinate their leaders, is what happened to Allende in Chile and Arbenz in Guatemala and most of the decade around and on and on. The United States has admitted to many of these things. I contacted some, some of these people and immediately I received anonymous phone calls threatening my life and threatening the life of my infant daughter. So, uh, and at the same time, I was offered a very lucrative consulting job with, uh, with Stone and Webster Engineering Company, a major, who had been a major competitor of mine when I was chief economist at, at, at Charles T. Maine. And I'd, 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 I'd quit that job and was writing this book. And, and they offered me an extremely lucrative consulting position, uh, provided I didn't write the book. They knew I was working on the book. So I stopped. Uh, but then after 9-11, I, I, I knew I had to write the book. And I'm not saying there's any direct connection here at all. There isn't. But, but when I went to Ground Zero and looked down on that smoldering pit, I knew I had to come clean on what I'd done. And I decided this time I wouldn't tell anybody. I wouldn't contact anyone else. I would write a personal a confession. I wrote the whole thing in secret. 
and then got it in the hands of a good New York agent who got it in the hands of publishing houses. And at that point, I figured it's my my secure it's my insurance policy, because uh, you know anyone who might not like what I wrote, uh, particularly in the in the government, uh, would know that if something strange happened to me, the book would sell a lot more copies than the two million that it did sell. Uh, and uh, so that's I went forward and did that. So, so um, as regards jackals and economic hitmen, then, um, what do you think the strategy is based on all your experience as regards OPEC? It was widely reported that Saudi Arabia and uh, the United Arab Emirates didn't answer Biden's phone call when after what happened in Ukraine, they were, as per usual, some might say, and is in your book, you imply, uh, were told, uh, look, increase output, reduce the prices of global prices of crude, and they didn't do it. Will there be, and will it be easy for them to have another jackal economic hitman strategy against uh, Mohammed bin Salman and uh, uh, MBZ of the UAE? No, it won't be easy today because of China and, and because the world has changed so much. Uh, it, amongst other things, uh, the, many of the Muslim countries are very upset at us for what we did in Afghanistan and Iraq. They don't see us as, 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 as friendly to Muslim countries. Uh, and China has, has become the major power in so much of the world that no longer are we looked at as, as the great protector. These countries know that we can't protect them against China. They know that we can't, that even Russia at this point, though, despite what we're doing in Ukraine, this threat is very real. And they're seeing that the United States is, is overextended. <laughs> so for yeah, them... Yeah, but wait, wait, does uh, that the, mean the jackal, John? So if there's no economic hitman, does that mean the jackal? I'm speaking to you from Dubai. Are, they, are the Americans coming for us? I, I think at this point, it, it's, uh, it's less likely than in the past. But certainly, uh, these people now have some pretty good ways to protect themselves against jackals. Uh, you know, the jackals have been notoriously good at taking out governments in countries that have fairly weak governments. Uh, they're not so good at taking out countries where you have a very strong government, like Saudi Arabia. Uh, and you know, the Middle East at this point is 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 a very different place from what it was back when. I helped strike that deal in the early and mid-1970s. Well, the whole world is what, a place. Well, what about back, back home in the United States? Because Joe Biden talks a lot about uh, things that are happening abroad. Uh, back in the United States, the big story for a while was this balloon. And then belatedly, I think it was to public pressure, arguably, people started talking about infrastructure, the Ohio Rail uh, disaster. Uh, I know you say that the Ukraine war again is diverting uh, the U.S. from strengthening relationships with global partners. But at the same time, why is infrastructure in the state that it is in, in the United States? Is, and how is it related to this uh, economic, global economic hitman jackal strategy from Washington? <laughs> well, because the United States, uh, uh, corporations can't make nearly as much money off doing infrastructure projects in the United States as they can make off doing infrastructure projects in other countries. So when an economic hitman goes in and convinces the president of, of a Latin American or an African country to take a huge loan from the World Bank that they have to use to hire U.S. corporations to build infrastructure projects in their country, the, 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 the company that builds the infrastructure projects, the U.S. corporation, makes huge profits. 
And of course, the military industrial complex does not benefit uh, from uh, infrastructure projects in the United States the way that they benefit from what goes on in other countries. So there's a lot of pressure at the various highest levels of our government through lobbyists and consultants and advisors uh, to expand our, all of our overseas efforts. And the other side of that is that as we expand these overseas efforts, we are also aligning ourselves with countries that have resources that our corporations want, oil, copper, cobalt. Today, we're looking to, 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 you know, to take better control of the lithium, which is you know, so important to the, to, to the green economy. And China has essentially, I think they control just about 90% of the lithium in the world. People, people can watch our Louise Arcer interview, president of Bolivia. It didn't work out so well for Washington when, uh, after Evo Morales, where lithium is, of course, in Bolivia. Uh, we don't really have much time to be able to talk about Noriega, who surprisingly comes out nicer than one might expect in the new updated edition, uh, given the demonization or specific demonization of him in Panama. But when it comes to Panama, we know Zelensky was named in the Panama Papers. That doesn't seem to be talked about much uh, nowadays. You say in this book that uh, since the first edition, you become shocked by how blatant, defiant, and merciless the NATO nation, the banks, these big banks of the NATO nations are. Uh, you talk about the corrupt uh, LIBOR interest rate setting. And um, you don't think much of the 10 billion fine on JP Morgan, Chase, Barclays, Bank of Scotland, UBS, pleaded guilty Deutsche Bank, two and a half billion dollars. You weren't satisfied the fact that all these banks were uh, uh, corrupt? <laughs> Admittedly corrupt. They, they can't sue me on that one. What do you mean I wasn't satisfied? With the fine, the levels of fine. They paid their dues. Oh, well, They're clean no, now. It, 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 well, isn't it funny that banks get fined, but banks don't commit don't commit uh, crimes. Banks don't get put in prison. Uh, banks don't, uh, you know, they get fined. But the people that actually committed the crimes, the ones who made the decisions, they go scot-free. Uh, those are the CEOs, they, they, you know, people in high positions in these banks. I, yeah, I think that's horrific that corporations in the United States have the rights of individuals, but they don't have the responsibilities and they don't have to answer to the same laws. It's not the way a democracy should operate. John Perkins, thank you. And the third and latest edition of Confessions of an Economic Hitman is out now if you're thinking of taking out an IMF loan. That's it for the final show of this season. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Saturday the 13th of May. But until then, we'll be broadcasting some of your favorite shows of the series. Meanwhile, you can keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country and head to our channel Going Underground TV on rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you very soon.